When I was starting my career, local business and industry folks paid for my registration fee to attend a four-day workshop taught by W. Edwards Deming. They believed that university faculty members needed to appreciate his message and the impact of his quality improvement message on industry and business. The use of statistics to improve processes in business, industry, government, and academia is the focus of this episode of Stats and Stories, where we explore the statistics behind the stories and the stories behind the statistics. I'm John Baylor. Stats and Stories is a production of Miami University's Departments of Statistics and Media Journalism and Film and the American Statistical Association. Joining me is regular panelist Rosemary Pennington from the Department of Media Journalism and Film. Our guest is Nick Fisher. Fisher runs an R&D consultancy in performance measurement and is visiting professor of statistics at the University of Sydney. He was also the 2019 Deming lecturer. Nick, thank you so much for being here. Pleasure. Thanks, John. Oh. Well, Nick, you were awarded the Deming Lecture for outstanding leadership in promoting the discipline of statistics, including remarkable contributions to broad areas of theoretical and applied statistics, especially in performance measurement systems, an area of great interest to W. Edwards Deming. What got you interested in the field of performance measurement? Well, I fell into it. Uh, I was um, running um, a research group scattered around Australia, we had adopted a particular approach to how we were going to manage things. And we had ourselves assessed against best practice criteria in management. And we came out worst in the area of how we use data and information to run ourselves, which is a- <laughs> that, that had to have been painful, Nick. It, it was a, a huge <laughs> embarrassment because some of my people were evaluators for the Australian Quality Awards. Oh my. And so I started looking into this and I discovered to my great astonishment that nobody had ever come up with um, a solution to the question questions, what sorts of data do we need to run this organization? What sort of data will tell us what we're trying to achieve and how we're going in terms of achieving that? And that goes for companies, universities and any organization you like to this day. Uh, the the regular monthly meetings have board reports which are almost certainly incomplete. So that's what I'm hearing you say is that, that the uh, performance measurement is one one way that I, that might define it based on what you just said is what data would be needed to run an organization and that's part of the process of that includes determining what you're trying to achieve and then evaluating your success at achieving that is that a is that a fair summary? Yes. Well the usual sorts of metrics that are used to evaluate how well an organization is going financial and profit profit before tax a whole host of um, financial metrics sometimes there's something about customer satisfaction and maybe or maybe staff turnover uh, unfortunately and this has been known for a long time even if it's been ignored for a long time there are a lot of other factors that affect the long-term viability of a company. How well they treat their customers, how well they treat their people, how they behave in relation to the wider community. All those sorts of things um, matter in the long term, um, even if you try and try to exploit them in the short term. So how do you measure things like that so that you know that you're being successful in your relationships with each of these other groups. How important is it when you're thinking of sort of 
how to measure performance, to consider the context and history of the company in the industry. Because I, I could imagine some, you know, wide-eyed person who says, oh, well, this measurement works at this one company. Let's take it someplace else and see if it'll work for us. And how that maybe doesn't quite, maybe there's not always an easy transfer between industries or or, or companies. Is is the context and the history important as you think of like how to how to measure things for for your clients or for for organizations well there are lots of different things bundled up in what you've just said so let's just pick one or two there are generic principles that can be applied all the way across um, from, from company to company industry to industry um, but uh, history the history of the company may be important for some companies it may be part of the reason that some people are attracted to work for a company or purchase from that company or whatever it happens to be. On the other hand, there'll be other reasons why those things are totally irrelevant. And generally, each company will have its own specific circumstances, like same with the university. Um, you know, you're all competing in the student market, but you're all delivering something that's slightly different. And um, you have your students and they're different from other people's students. You know, I, 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 you know, in reading some of the, the, the articles that you've written on this, I, I appreciated the idea of, of saying that, that these, the questions that you answer with a performance measurement system, where are we now, where are we heading, and where do we need to focus attention? I mean, if those all seem like really powerful touchstones. And, and you know, that, that can apply, it seems, at any level of an organization. You know, so Rosemary and I could think about those questions in terms of our own individual careers. We could think about it in terms of our departments. We could think about it in terms of our divisions, in terms of our larger institution. And I, so I, you know, I think that's, is that, is that an example of some of those general principles that you would say are kind of just, just any, any unit would be considering that or any, any process might? Yes, and um, beyond that, it gets to issues like, how do you measure, how do you assess research quality? Mm. You know, how do you how do you assess the very different graduate programs and statistics in the US? How do you make an appointment? How do you compare all those different researchers who have applied to be a professor at your university? Mm. There's a whole host of things. And that's when you start pulling on that little piece of, of wool, that you, things start, <laughs> you start, there are more and more questions to be asked. What does it mean um, to do high quality research? How do you measure high-quality research? Who should be making that decision? Is it something where you count numbers of citations or numbers of papers published, or, or is it something a little bit more subtle? Yeah, you know, the other thing that I wonder is as as new forms of of production emerge, you know, and examples of that. Well, say a podcast <laughs> is one example of a of an intellectual product that that really didn't. That, that you that didn't exist historically. I mean, other examples might be software or packages that are contributed, or or blogs. I mean, there are intellectual products that might have impact, and I think those. It's an to me, it's an interesting question on how that how that might be considered and evaluated in terms of the performance, you know, or the the, the these questions that you have about, you know, where do you want to focus your attention or how do you want to get evaluate kind of performance. Well, as, as my late great friend Myron Tribus would say in relation to podcasts, who's the customer here? 
For whose benefit are you doing this? Who who is going to make a judgment about whether it's a good podcast or a bad podcast? What are their quality criteria? And, I, I think uh, they would say those. having Nick Fisher as a guest would be a clear, <laughs> a, a clear measure of a quality criteria. Well, <laughs> yes, but what sort of quality criteria? <laughs> you, you have to be able to anchor scales, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but I'm not sure which end that's anchoring. <laughs> we'll, we'll leave that as an open question. <laughs> so, you know, I, I, I love the examples that you talked about in some of your other writing, that measurements can incentivize behavior or have unintended consequences. You know, that that to me is a, is a pretty sobering thought, you know, and I, you know, you, you talk about, uh, we talk, you know, like the idea of teaching the tests or other things that you might do that you, you really are not necessarily what you want to do. You gave some examples about physicians and their compensation based on patients or kind of arrival of train systems. Can, can you describe some of those examples for, our, for the folks that might be listening? Well, a really good example is uh, uh, provided by the methodology of Six Sigma. Uh, that was uh, Six Sigma, and this story is not all that well known, but it was uh, I got it from the source, so to speak. So I believe that my version is correct. Motorola was having big problems um, and casting around for a way in which they could improve what they were doing for their customers. And they wanted a single metric they could drive right through the organization that everybody would understand really easily. And so they decided on um, cycle time of each process, uh, whatever it might be, a small production process all the way up to the complete sales process from the moment of initial order to the moment of the clients or customers check being banked. And so they they said, right, we have to minimize cycle time on everything. And they went flat out at doing that. Uh, unfortunately, that was fine, but it had unintended consequences because the what people were focusing on was doing something as fast as possible, but not necessarily doing it to specification. So Oops. They then realized they needed a second metric. And so then they said, not only are you to do it fast, but almost every time it has to be done correctly. And so they had to introduce something that says how well the process was controlled in relation to what it was trying to achieve. So that was the case of um, the other one of the other examples you mentioned was um, the notorious case of Sunbeam, where uh, Chainsaw Al Dunlap, um, who had a, a who was the darling of Wall Street at one stage, because of his his so-called uh, supposed ability to turn companies around, he would come in, strip out unperforming assets, sell them off, and suddenly drive drive the share price up and then move on. Um, and his compensation package reflected how well he did this. Uh, he, at Sunbeam, there was a great incentive for him to meet quarterly and six monthly sales targets. And on one occasion, Sunbeam re recorded a, a record number of barbecue sales in the middle of winter, um, which was um, a trifle unusual given American winters. Right. 
God, he was definitely it's global to... warming, Nick. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he was trying. He he was kept on trying to raise the expectations of Wall Street, and um, the share price was going up and up, and his compensation package was going up and up um, because of the bonus system. The trouble is, what he had done is to bring forward sales from he'd been running sales campaigns, and all he'd done is move the next summer's sales forward. We'll bring them forward. No. Um, Anyway, that plus creative accounting, accounting got him fired from Sunbeam, but he was never properly prosecuted for all the damage he'd done. Oh, wow. So for, for journalists who are covering, because a lot of companies, when they have you know, performance metrics that look um, impressive, right, will make this big you know, dog and pony show, um, saying, you know, yes, we, we've, we've you know, had this huge surge in sales or all of these customers are satisfied with our with what we're doing. What advice would you give to journalists who are covering these stories? What should they be keeping an eye out when when companies are sort of push pushing or I guess even universities, right? Certain uh, performance metrics as examples that they are doing well. How should they approach these stories? Well, I'm afraid that journalists will have to learn to ask a few questions, firstly of themselves, um, to themselves, and then to the companies. Uh, so a, a, a classic example of a metric that's gone all over the world and everybody and many companies, some of the largest, all the large banks in Australia were using it until very recently, is net promoter score. Um, I won't describe the details of it, but it is supposedly uh, it was introduced as a quick fix that avoided all sorts of expensive marketing program campaigns to ascertain how uh, the public viewed your offerings. And in came Net Promoter Score, and everybody picked it up. Um, and that's what they used to compare themselves with other companies. Unfortunately, it is not fit for purpose. It's actually not good for business and it's not good for the consumer. It doesn't lead to improved products and services, but it has made a lot of money for the companies that um, consult in this area. You're listening to Stats and Stories, and today we're talking to performance measurement consultant and University of Sydney visiting professor of statistics, Nick Fisher. Nick, that's, you know, I'm glad that, that uh, Rosemary asked about that idea of covering the idea of, of measurement, because a lot of times it seems like, you know, a, an organization can could cherry pick a particular measure that shows them in the best light. And, and even though you may have other indicators that are suggesting that there's a, a problem, perhaps in an organization, if you pick the right thing. So the example that you had of the, the winner sales of barbecue is a, you know, that, that should have been a, there should have been flags there. Can, you know, so you suggested that there's some, some data self-defense that journalists can do. Do you have other kinds of, of, of hints or clues or, or things that people should look for in, in this kind of, uh, this kind of assessment? Well, I think the thing to, to ask is what sort of behavior is it this likely to drive? If they're using that sort of a metric, how are people, how are the people who are being judged by this metric likely to behave? I mean, just look at the academic community. You know, if you're judged on how many, how many articles you publish, what are you going to do? Are you going to write one long article that covers the subject completely, or are you going to try and get it published in a very few, uh, in, 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 in several short articles. If you're a journal editor, 
and um, what you're being judged on is how often the articles are cited, um, the articles from your journal are cited, uh, what are you going to do? You're going to encourage citation of, by people submitting um, articles to your journal of other articles in that journal and that drives up that particular metric for the journal and I've had personal experience of this having had an article accepted for publication and then being asked by the editor when I as the galley when he sent the galley proofs please go back and check through back issues of the journal to see which other articles you can cite right. oh. <laughs> measurement drives behavior although there's a call there's a call there certainly for professional ethics that also is uh, is embedded in what you've just described. <laughs> well, I've never seen that written into the uh, li li list of duties um, or, or requirements for a journal editor. <laughs> Have you? <laughs> it should be present. It should be present. Hmm. What advice would you give to someone who wants to go into this field? Who wants to who wants to work in this ish in this area of performance metrics? You know. What, what do they need to be keeping in mind? Are there things they should be studying in school? Um, what, ad, what advice would you give to them about sort of making their way into this industry? Start reading. There's not all that much to be read. Um, start looking around, just look around their, daily, their own daily lives to see how people are using measurements. Um, and you know whether it's at the, at the university you know why are you why are you, are you giving me this um course satisfaction survey it doesn't appear to be re relating to the things that are important to the people in this class start asking questions um and you'll suddenly find you're not getting good answers i mean i'm, I'm not sure if that's uh, <laughs> that i mean i i don't know i didn't sort of set out to I fell into this because I had a, a specific issue. And for people, I think for a lot of researchers, uh, they work in an area because, uh, at least in statistics, uh, because problems have you know, come to them and they've responded to that problem. So it's, it's, it's sort of the, the problem pulls them rather than them trying to force the issue, unless they're theoreticians, then they can do what they want. <laughs> So as part of this lectureship, I, I mean, I think it's we've, we've not talked about Deming in, in kind of very formal ways. So could could you give a little bit of, of kind of context and history for the impact of not just Deming, but just the, just some highlights of kind of you've, you've mentioned kind of the, the these giants of this field that helped influence and shape the direction that you took. Could you just give like some comments about Deming and you mentioned Myron and you mentioned, uh, you know, others that that have had great influence on you? Well, I think that the um, not all that many people in the American Statistical Association would actually appreciate um, the broad range of Deming's activities. Uh, he did all this. He did some. He was employed by the Bureau of the Census. He did wonderful work in the Bureau of the Census. He did some important research. Um, after he left the Bureau of the Census, he was a consultant in. Uh, transportation statistics, the leading consultant in America on analyzing transportation statistics and so on. Um, <clears throat> however, uh, I think he was largely unknown outside survey, survey sampling um, until 1980, which was when there was the broadcast on NBC, if, if Japan can, why can't we? 
and Deming suddenly was thrust into prominence for uh, his role in the revolution in manufacturing in, in Japan. Uh, what had actually happened was in Japan that um, after the war, well, towards the end of the war, when um, MacArthur had been sent out to see what he could do to, well, or to take charge of um, post-war reconstruction in Japan, um, the first thing he realised he needed was a communications uh, industry capability so that he could get hold of some communication equipment that will allow him to communicate from town to town to find out what they needed. Did they need um, medical supplies or water or food or what did they need? Because everything had been destroyed by the bombing. Mm. So that led to uh, an extraordinary person, Homer Sarason, um, being brought over to supervise the um, creation effectively of a whole into the communications industry and in the process of doing that Homer realized that for the companies to operate well he had to teach them how to manage which he did do um, he taught the leadership uh, he wrote out um, a course with Charles Protzman on um, principles in, of industrial management and he taught um, a number of industry leaders that uh, for companies he'd set up or brought back to life, um, how to manage. You may have heard of some of these companies, by the way, National, Sony, Panasonic, uh, Masushita. <laughs> yeah, they did okay. Yeah. <laughs> they did all right. And then after a while, and there's a, a lot of other stuff I'm leaving out, uh, it was clear that he needed to teach them statistical process control to help them um, manage the processes in their companies. And he actually got as far as writing a short book about this. Uh, but then MacArthur left to go to Korea and took Homer with him. And so Homer uh, contacted Shuart and said, can you come over and teach these people statistical process control? Um, Shuart says, I'm too busy, but there's a young, young guy at the Bureau of the Census who knows this stuff. Why don't you get him out? And so that's how Deming was invited to Japan to teach SPC. Now, Deming had been out there in 1947 to design the first uh, post-war survey. Oh, and, uh, but okay. he came out in 1950 to do, teach SPC, but he had also formulated his own complete philosophy for management. And so he taught that as well. Uh, oh, and Deming, for those who've never seen him, um, compared with the average Japanese person, was um, it, a huge contrast. He was uh, six foot seven tall, and he towered over the the small people in Japan. He spoke with a low, a slow, very deliberate voice, um, almost in biblical tones, <laughs> and um, it, it was a powerful experience um, to attend one of his courses, as you know, John, as and as I know. However, uh, Deming himself was never in line management. He never had a role of supervising oh. other people and having to run a system. And so there were other people who actually had to find ways to capture some of his, some of his thinking and to make it work in companies. And there are many other contributors. But all of this, uh, at the same time as Japan started picking, th picking up, 
America uh, was relatively unaffected by the Second World War and so they became, in a sense, lazy and their production systems became sloppier and their former good management practices lapsed and Deming, Deming's um, uh, session in 1980 was a huge wake-up call to say, Look, you know, you're going to have to start to do better. Uh, there are, you know, there's a whole country over there doing much, much better than you are in terms of the quality of the products and services it's providing. And they're using your techniques to yeah. do it. <laughs> they do give a Deming Prize in Japan for for this work, for yes. contributions and quality. They do. Whether it's a good prize or not is another question. It is, uh, and the reason I say that is because it is incredibly demanding on the capabilities, the internal capabilities of a company. Oh, okay. um, in, hugely demanding. And in fact, I mean, yes, it is a goal for a lot of companies that to strive for, and they do. Uh, there are companies in India now that have won, several companies that have won the Deming Prize. But uh, at least in one case in America, the cost was too great and the company oh. has um, somewhat imploded. Oh, no and try to keep these standards up yes well well nick i'm afraid that's that's all the time we have for this episode of stats and stories thank you so much for being here with us it's a pleasure john thanks for the chance to talk well stats and stories is a partnership between miami university's departments of statistics and media journalism and film and the american statistical association you can follow us on twitter or apple podcasts or other places you can find podcasts if you'd like to share your thoughts on our program Please send your email to statsandstories at miamioh.edu or check us out at statsandstories.net. And be sure to listen for future editions of Stats and Stories where we discuss the statistics behind the stories and the stories behind the statistics. <laughs>